mentioned uh, a week or so ago that uh, I had a desire to preach a series on the upper room as I did many years ago. Uh, and without planning it, I find myself back in John chapter 16 today. So you can be turning there. I'll meet you there in just a little while. It's not my intent to preach a series from this chapter, by the way, or from this section that deals with, with all that was said and done in the upper room. While you're turning there, let me make a statement that might, well, it might offend someone, I don't know. It might shock everyone, but uh, some of you need to move. Some of you need to move. Maybe you're thinking, well, how do you know? You might be thinking, well, you've never seen my house. Or you might be thinking, where I live is none of, none of your business, preacher. But, but really, you're wrong, because as a pastor, it's my business. And where you're living isn't suitable or safe. You could do a lot better. In fact, the truth is a lot of folks are living beneath their privileges. And maybe you're thinking, well, I, I'm just quite comfortable where I am. But that's the problem right there. And, and since you're waiting on an explanation, I'll give it to you. And here it is. Most of you, most of us, need to move from sorrow to joy. We've been living in the slums of sorrow far too long, and it's time that we move out of that place. And it's so sad to see so many people spend their entire lives living in sorrow when they don't have to. And the question is, why do they stay there? In some cases, they stay there because they don't, well, they don't see any other options. You know, what else can I do? In other cases, they think, well, this is, uh, this is uh, it's appropriate for what I'm going through. And they can give you a long list of reasons as to why, you know, they ought to remain sorrowful. I and mean, they've just got a long list. And, uh, and they, you know, they can justify it well. And it's no wonder I'm sorrowful. Just look at all that I'm going through and all of the problems that I've got and... Uh, uh, but the fact is, all of us, you know, and even though we try to justify our sorrows, there are others that always have it worse than we do. And, and besides, you know, what we're doing, just living in morbid sorrow is not acceptable, not appropriate for a Christian. Now, I understand the Bible teaches that there is a time to weep. But the same Bible also says in Philippians 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And it is apparent that most people don't. Don't you agree? I mean, just look around. I'm not talking about necessarily looking around right here in the congregation because believe me, what you see here is a hundred times better than what you see out there in the world. But even we Christians so many times are mired down in sorrow to the point that we fail to follow the command to rejoice in the Lord. When? 
all, always, all of the time. It doesn't make any difference. We are to rejoice in the Lord. And, and these people that are living in the slums of sorrow are miserable, and, and it shows. And uh, that's not what God wants for you or me. He wants something better than that. And here in John chapter 16, we see our Lord dealing with that very thing. I don't have time to deal with every verse and to look at all of the details, but it'll be easy for you to follow along and look in verse number 6, for example, and notice what the Lord said, Sorrow hath filled your heart. But notice in verse number 20, he says, your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And then in verse 24, he speaks about the possibility. Notice he says that your joy may be full. In other words, not just a little trickle, but full and running over. And then he concludes in verse 33 of this chapter by saying, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Today, it's my hope that this story in some way will convince someone that it is possible to move from sorrow to joy because Jesus promised and Jesus provided all we need for that to happen. Now, we can't avoid suffering. We're all aware of that. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be sorrow. But we can move away from it. And if ever there was a time that we needed to do that, it's in this day that we live in. In these troublesome times, we need to move away from the sorrow that is weighting us down and destroying our happiness. And the media just won't give us a break. They won't let us do that because we are being bombarded by the media constantly of all of the bad news. Now, in this chapter, we see the disciples overwhelmed with great sorrow, and, and for good reason, because Jesus showed them here exactly what they could expect. Now, they didn't always get the picture, but he has been very detailed about the suffering and the fact that he is going to leave and go away, and they're overwhelmed with sorrow. But he shows them here why and how they can move from their sorrow to joy. I find it interesting that rather than rebuke them sternly as he, as he could have, and as some preachers would have, instead of doing that, he taught them. And, and we can hang all of our hopes on what Jesus said. And here we see an example of Christ being the great comforter to us there in that upper room where he repeatedly reminded them to be not troubled. And he gave them one promise after another after another. Remember, this is the night before the crucifixion. The disciples are confused. They are fearful. They are sorrowful. They Notice, they had witnessed the Lord's mighty miracles. They had seen him open the eyes of the blind. They had seen him feed the multitude. They had seen him raise the dead and heal the sick. And, and, and they had witnessed all of these miracles, but now they're facing something that causes them to be overwhelmed with fear and with sorrow. They are afraid. 
and, and try to imagine being in their shoes, to being in their situation. Now, they had faced problems before, but now the Lord was about to be crucified and taken from them, and they're wondering, what will we do? How are we going to survive now? They're thinking to themselves, will we ever be able to laugh again? Will life ever be joyful like it was when we was with Him? And Jesus, knowing exactly what they're thinking, aren't you glad that He knows your thoughts? And He knew what they were thinking. And He shows them how they can move from sorrow to joy. And I want you to know, if they could, you can. If they could, you can. If you're a child of God and they could, then you can. And whenever we read the remainder of this chapter, there are four things that stand out that are the means whereby that any Christian can move from sorrow to joy. We don't have to stay stuck in sorrow. We can make the move today. And wouldn't that be wonderful? To finally get out of that rut, to get out of that ditch, and to be able to go back to enjoying life again. In verses 16 through 22, he gives them the first means whereby they can make that move. And to sum it up, here it is, it's to remember the reunion. Verse 16, he says, a little while, and ye shall not see me. I just wonder if some of them didn't just stop listening right then. A little while and ye shall not see me. And again a little while and ye shall see me. And then he says, because I go to the Father. Verse 22. And he says, and ye now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice. Now get this. And your joy no man taketh from you. Isn't that great? I mean, I'm going from you. You're not going to see me anymore, but you will see me again. And there are two applications that's obvious from what Jesus says in these verses. And the first one, of course, has to do with the resurrection. Over in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 8, it speaks about those who witnessed His resurrection and, and it talks about them. They left quickly and with great joy. It was with great joy they left that empty tomb and they went out to tell others, He's not here, He's risen, He's alive. Joy filled their heart and opened their mouth and they couldn't wait to tell others of the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would be able to see Him again. But He also told them that He was going to leave again. He's going to be taken away again. And they witnessed that at the ascension where He was suddenly taken up out of their sight. The resurrected Lord taken up out of their sight, ascended into heaven. But the story doesn't end there because there's going to be another reunion. They experience the reunion of the resurrection, but there's also the reunion of the rapture when all Christians shall, shall be gathered together. 
Jesus had already mentioned that back in John chapter 14, verse number 1. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he said this, And if I go, I will come again. That where I am, there ye may be with me also. You see, now Jesus had already said that in chapter number 14. But even with that promise, these disciples are still confused. This is, well, to them and to some people today, it's one of those things that just seems too good to be true. But it's not. It's real because Hebrews 10, 27, 37 says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come. And will not tarry. He's not going to be a second late. He's going to be right on time. And the Bible is so very clear about the fact that Jesus is coming and the saints are going to forever be with the Lord. And, and Paul tells us in Titus that that is the believer's blessed hope. That word blessed, by the way, means happy. That's our happy hope. The very thought of our Lord's return and being united with Him and reunited with our loved ones ought to cause us to rejoice. And if we can't rejoice over that, God help us because we have a serious problem. That's why I keep saying that regardless of how good or how bad things are now, the best is yet to come. And we all need to think about that all of the time. We need to live with eternity in view because, let me tell you, nothing makes any sense if we don't. If we limit our vision to the grave, if that's all we see, there's nothing in this world that makes any sense. And that's why we have to live with eternity in view. And yet... So many are living in despair because all of their focus is on this life. Rather than considering the big picture, they're just looking at the, at the present problem. The Bible says don't do that. Not in those words. But the Bible says set your affection on things above. You want to get out of that rut of depression and sorrow and pain, then you need to remember the reunion that's going to happen. But then in verse 23 and verse 24, the Lord tells them something else will help get them out of that rut, will help them to move. Move from sorrow to joy, and that is this. Request what you need. Boy, that's, that is amazing that we have the privilege of requesting. Notice verse 23, And in that day you shall ask me nothing, verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it, give it to you, uh, you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, and ye shall receive that, notice, that your joy may be full. Here we go again, this promise attached to this, this condition. And that is that we request what we need. And you know, even though we remind ourselves that the best is yet to come, 
we remind ourselves that uh, everything's going to end well. It's all going to be okay. That doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Because we still have struggles. We still suffer. We still have sorrows. And uh, that's to be expected. And Jesus told them, so in this world ye shall have tribulation. You're going to have all kinds of problems. You'll be hated and despised. It's going to be tough. He never promised them a bed of roses and a life of ease. That's what these disciples are thinking about. How are we going to get through all of this? How will we ever be happy again? They're worried about their needs not being met. They'd spent the last three and a half years following Jesus everywhere, depending upon Him for everything, and now they're wondering, what will we do now? And again, Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, is addressing this matter by speaking about the privilege of prayer. And there in verse 24, he says, that your joy may be full. You know, how can we, how can we think about all of the precious promises pertaining to, to prayer and not be joyful? How can, how can you be a Christian and that not excite you and thrill you and to know that, that prayer makes a difference? You know, I could preach 24 hours straight and still not cover everything the Bible says about prayer. I just want to remind you that everything depends on prayer. Without it, we are sure to fail because prayer is our lifeline. What a great joy it is to know in a time of need that we're able to pray to the God of heaven, the God who created it all, the God who controls it all, and we have this invitation. Come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's why Jesus spoke about prayer He wanted them to be full of joy, as he says. And he knew that this promise of prayer would help them to move from sorrow to joy. And it'll do exactly the same for us. I'm not trying to minimize anyone's problems because there are some of you here that you've suffered great loss. Oh, just talking about it would bring tears to your eyes. I, 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 I know you have. Some of you have immediate needs. Uh, needs that maybe nobody else even knows about, but there are some urgent needs in your life right now, right at this moment. And then there are some that, you know, they have what they need now, but they, they're sorrowful because they are anticipating the tough times ahead. I mean, they can see it coming down the road. And whenever they look at their life and they see the direction it's going, they know there's going to be some tough times ahead. The future looks bleak. And the answer to all of that is as the song says, take it to the Lord in prayer. That's the answer. If you're not going to pray about it, don't gripe about it. And if you do pray about it from a sincere heart, 
You can expect God to honor the great promises that He's made. But the Lord isn't through yet. There's a third thing He wanted them to understand. It begins in verse number 25, actually. It goes through verse number 26, and here it is. Realize that you can't understand it all. You know, a lot of times we get fearful and frustrated because we can't understand what's going on. You know, and the favorite question of everybody is why? Well, that's not anything new. It's the way it's always been since sin entered into this world. And so in this section, we see an, we see an exchange between Jesus and the disciples. And if you take the time to read it, here's what you discover. It shows that they did not know what they claimed they knew. In other words, the Lord would make a statement and they would say something to the effect that, oh, we got it. And they didn't actually have a clue. The Lord had been speaking to them in in Proverbs and using parables. And He tells them in verse 29 and 30 that someday I'll explain that to you. Someday you'll see all of that clearly. And and so, again, they respond by saying, we got it. We understand. But they didn't. And I know they didn't because had they understood what he said, they would not have been troubled as he forbid them to be. Let not your heart be what? Troubled. And they are troubled. Why? Simply because they do not understand. And so Jesus proceeded here in verse 31 and verse 32 to show them that they still didn't get it. Jesus answered them. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come that ye shall be scattered every man to his own and shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. They still didn't get it. And I can prove they didn't because when you go over to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 6, after the resurrection, just before the the Lord ascends back into the air, what do they say to Him? Lord, are you going to restore your kingdom again at this time? Where have you been, guys? Haven't you heard? I mean, he explained it. He's going back to the Father. He has a work of making intercession for us. He's going to the Father. He's our mediator between God and man. He can't stay here because of the work He has there for us. And they still don't get it. And the sad fact is that Each and every one of us, we have to learn to live without having all of the answers. And and the sooner we learn that, the better. Because it's only then that we're able to accept what God allows without being fearful or without being bitter about it. It's all under His control. I asked a question here a while back as a part of a sermon. I said, do you trust God's plan? Think about it. Do you trust God's plan for your life? Oh, and everybody knows what the answer ought to be. Well, of course, God doesn't make any mistake. Whatever God's plan for me is, that's just fine because I know He doesn't make any mistakes, so it's got to be right. 
And even though we say that, there are so many times that our attitude doesn't reflect that. God has it all under control and that's a reason to rejoice. But we, we just keep insisting that, Lord, I've got to understand this. Well, at this point, this time, and where you are, even if he explained it, you still couldn't understand it. And I say that not to discredit his explanation, but to show you that you're in the same boat the disciples were in. He explained it, they still didn't get it. And so many times... We all face these situations in our life. Lord, why? I don't understand this. That person is suffering horribly and they love you. They serve you. They, they are generous and they give to others. And Lord, Lord, why them? Well, that song we sang earlier explained it. Further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll understand why. But until then... If we're ever going to have joy, we've got to realize we can't understand everything and that we just have to accept whatever God allows. But Jesus wasn't through with that. There was a fourth thing that we see in verse 31, 32, and 33. And that is our need to receive what God provides. And here the promise here is that Peace is possible. And notice, he tells them that they are to be of good cheer. Isn't that great news? Be of good cheer. Now, they're in the same situation they've been in since we started. Verse 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. They didn't think that was possible. Evidently, because they're scared to death. And in the world ye shall have tribulation, but what? Be of good cheer. You're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. You're going to suffer, but be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. How wonderful is that? These things have I spoken unto you, he says. Actually, that takes us back to the very first 15 verses of this chapter also. Well, what did he tell them there? Well, if you read it later, here's what you'll discover. That he's going away. He said, it's expedient that I go away. It's necessary. I've got to leave. But the Spirit is coming. The Spirit, He had to go away. Now the Spirit is coming, why? It's expedient. It's necessary for their survival. He left to make intercession for us, but the Spirit of God has come to assist us. And our welfare is dependent upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when Paul spoke about that to the Thessalonians, he said, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy. But there's more. 
with joy of the Holy Ghost. And then in the very next verse, he says, So that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Here are Christians that receive the message of God in much suffering, much affliction. They had plenty to complain about, but they received it with great joy. Joy that came from the Holy Spirit. And to this very day, our greatest need are things that only the Holy Spirit can provide. No Christian has to live a second-rate life because the Spirit of God makes the impossible possible. He alone can enable us to meet God's expectations. Why? Because He produces what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. That enables us to succeed rather than fail. It moves us from our sorrow to our joy. So heading in the direction of closing, because I'm not through, I want to ask you a question. With such a great offer on the table, why would you choose to stay stuck in your sorrow? You know, if you took a survey, you'd discover that everybody in the world is, they're hunting happiness, they're searching for satisfaction, and yet the majority of people refuse to receive what God has provided. And He's the only one that can fulfill their desires, and yet they refuse to go to Him and to trust Him. They reject what He offers And as a result of that, they end up suffering the consequences, which is what? Sorrow of some sort. When I refuse to receive what God has made available, what God offers, what God commands me to take, and I refuse that, I'm going to suffer as a result. And so many people are miserable because they refuse to make the move. The question is, why do they stay stuck in their sorrow when God opened the door to joy unspeakable and full of glory? The only way anything can change for the better is for us to receive what God has provided. And this is what He's telling us here. Don't you think it's time that you've moved? And be honest about your general attitude in life and your situation. Some of you are stuck in sorrow. And whenever I speak about, you know, moving from sorrow to joy, I realize that just about everybody here would agree that that makes sense, that that's what we should do, but not everybody is convinced that it's something that we could do. They feel like they are paralyzed. They feel like that they are trapped in bondage to their burden. And they really doubt that it can happen under their circumstances. And they feel like, I can't ever really be joyful unless my desires are met. Unless my circumstances change. Unless God grants my desire. Unless God makes life easier, more fun and better. I can't ever 
be joyful. But that is not true. And I know so because according to God's Word, we can be joyful regardless of our condition. It makes no difference what it is. We can still be joyful. And there are numerous examples of those that have proven that to be true. Whether you're talking about blind Fanny Crosby or a number of people that, that lived their entire life in suffering Bev and I used to be involved along with the, with the church in a nursing home ministry. There was one dear, sweet lady there, probably, probably the lady with the sweetest attitude of anybody, anybody in the whole nursing home. And she had lived flat of her back. She was in her 60s, 70s, something like that. And she had lived flat of her back all of her life. In a hospital bed. And I couldn't believe it when we go in there and speak with her and to see the smile on her face and to the reflection of joy that was coming from her heart. It's, how do you do that? Oh, if anybody could be happy if God would have worked a miracle and she'd popped up out of bed and started to run her down the hall. But she's flat of her back, she's suffering. So it's not a matter of the conditions meeting our desires. There's all of these examples. And then, of course, there's the Apostle Paul himself. And, and, you know, we think about Paul and what he went through. And the New Testament saints that suffered horribly. But best of all, we see it most in Jesus The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him did what? Endured the cross. Amen. He, all of the suffering, the misery, the pain, the agony, and all he went through on the cross, he did it with joy for us. It doesn't get any worse than that. We sing that song, to be like Jesus. Oh, to be like Jesus. We need to either get serious or shut up about it. That ought to be our prayer. That ought to be our desire. But understand there's great expectations that come along with that. So the big question is, why do we fail? And I say, why we? Because I'm not always successful. I fail just like you probably do. But the biggest barrier for most people is that they doubt what God says. And instead of trusting God's promise, instead of of relying upon God, they depend upon their own reasoning. And their reasoning tells them that I am justified in feeling like I do. Whether they put it in words or not, here's what they're really saying. How do you expect me to be joyful when I'm dealing with chronic sickness, pain, suffering? And then they play that trump card. After all, I'm only human. What do you expect? (laughs) I mean, I know because I've played that card. I'm only human. I, I, I can't be perfect. Does, this, does any of this describe you? 
Do you feel that in your situation, there's no possibility of peace or joy, and you're convinced that, well, at least for you, that joy is impossible. It just seems like it's out of reach. It is beyond you. And you've resigned yourself to the belief that this is just the way it is. And uh, I'm just going to have to live with it. And all I can do is just try to survive. But that attitude contradicts what God's Word says. And it conflicts with the will of what the will of God demands. That's not at all what God wants. What does He want? Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. That requires me to do, now listen carefully. That requires me to do what I must do to do it. I don't want to confuse you. Rejoicing in the Lord. Because some of you are saying, Peter, I know, I know what you're saying is bound to be true. It comes from the Bible, but I just don't see how I can move from my sorrow to my joy. Rejoice in the Lord. That is what you must do in order to do it. That is both the end and the means. You rejoice in the Lord. And if you're a Christian, you know there's always something to rejoice about. And you need to remind yourself of it. And read the first part of Philippians chapter number 4, where he talks about that very thing. And then in verse number 11, he gives us the result. When Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. But before he could say that, he said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he said, and if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And give, he said, whatever is honest, whatever is true, whatever is pure, gives us a list of those qualities that identify Jesus Himself. That is another way of saying, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, consider Him. That's what it's all about, just getting our eyes on Him. And in the midst of our sorrow and our suffering, that we turn our attention to the Son of God who had joy even on the cross. And if, listen, if God requires this, rejoice in the Lord always. If the sky is falling, rejoice in the Lord. And whenever we learn to do that, all of a sudden we're going to find an energy and a strength and a power that is greater than ourselves. As Paul said, be ye filled with the Spirit. That literally means... Yield yourself to the Spirit of God. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. Whenever we put our life under the control of God's Spirit, what happens? He begins producing fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. But the second thing is joy. How important is this? I don't have time to tell you how important it is, except I'll say what Nehemiah did. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The only thing that's going to keep you going is what? It's the joy of the Lord. 
And it's right there for us taking, regardless of our situation. We can rejoice in Him, and when we do, everything begins to change. I'm talking about our attitude. Oh, all of the, it hasn't changed my arthritis yet or anything like that, but I, I, if it's got, you've got scars on your body, it's not going to change that. You've got a broken arm, it's not going to heal that. But what you can't escape, you can endure. And you can endure it by rejoicing in the Lord. Yielding to the Holy Spirit and being filled with Him, as it were, under His control and manifesting the fruit that only He can produce. We, We could never do that on our own. So how about it? Are you ready to... To move today, to move out and just, I, I don't know what God would have you to do, just to, you know, in your face before God and say, oh dear God, I've lived in the slums of sorrow so long, I, I've started to feel comfortable there and I know this is not where I ought to be living and I'm getting out today by your grace. If I don't do anything else, I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to praise you and I'm going to thank you and I'm going to surrender my life to you. Fill me with your Spirit and use me for your glory. Move out today. Father, thank you for the provision that you've made. Thank you, Lord, for not just the information that we receive when we read Your Word, but the inspiration that it carries. For the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that when we're proud and stubborn, when we can't understand and we're rebellious against Your will, that yet the Holy Spirit continues to nug at our heartstrings and pull us in Your direction. God, I just pray today You'll help each and every one of us learn something from these lessons that Jesus taught His followers. Help us, Lord, to to move from the sorrow to the joy that You've provided. And if there's someone here today that's never received Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they'll do so today before they leave this building and come to know the great joy and have the peace of knowing that their sins are forgiven in their homes in heaven. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you stand and while we sing, you...